Well, good morning. Did anybody go bowling this week? The power of suggestion. I just wanted to see if it was at work. Well, that didn't really produce any new bowlers, I guess. But what it did produce, as starting the series last week, is some high participation in Christian community. For example, this morning, our men's Bible study was, was packed with guys, I think, who uh, are applying this principle of carving out time in their life for things that really matter. And that's part of kind of the formal structure. We have 242 small groups and men's Bible studies. Our women's Bible study was really full on Tuesday. But, but there's an informal aspect that I discovered or heard about, and that is this. A lot of people in our congregation were getting together casually this week, and I've heard some great stories. And we want to continue to just see God's call uh, to be part of Christian community by being part of programming, yes, but also by just initiating contact with each other and spending time together. That's very, very valuable. Well, one of the first national parks I ever uh, visited as a small child was Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. Who's been to Carlsbad Caverns? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. It is absolutely gorgeous. We've been to Mammoth Cave a lot. I love Mammoth Cave also. Carlsbad Caverns is different, and you see on this screen why. It's these incredible stalactites. They are just gorgeous. If you can just imagine you know, this taking the full scope of your sight, it's just overwhelming the beauty of this. And this picture and the real place it makes you just kind of want to grab out, you know, reach out and grab that, doesn't it? You know, you want to just grab the stalactites and just touch them. And I'm sure in previous generations that happened. I'm sure when the Native Americans explored the cave in, in 20th century, early 20th century, people just touch them and kind of have that physical contact. But nowadays, that is never allowed. In fact, it's a borderline felony to touch one of these stalactites. They, they have it roped off. They have park rangers evaluating, watching you, making sure you don't reach out and touch one of those. And the reason why is it's very fragile. Even though this is a beautiful sight, it's very, very fragile. It's a human touch could disrupt the beauty and can disrupt the ecosystem there. And I thought about this because that which is very beautiful in life is often the most fragile in life also. I, I can't think of anything more beautiful than Christian community. When God's people under God's leadership are living life together, preferring one another, serving together, loving one another, it is a beautiful sight to see. But I've been around long enough, and some of you have been around the church long enough, not necessarily this church, but a church somewhere, that you know this, that Christian community is very fragile. It's very beautiful, but it can be disrupted so easily. And I thought about this Wednesday night. As I left this property on Wednesday night, we had a successful launch of Awana, tons of kids for our, our framework here, people volunteering, a vibrant youth group, um, we had class training parents. And on top of all of that, there was just a, an energy, a buzz around here. And as I was taking my children home, because Beth was staying here for worship practice, it was odd to see like clusters of people still in the property, uh, not leaving yet. And I kind of drove off with this un 
easy but joyful feeling because people are connecting, you know, people are hanging out. And, and it's a good sign, it's a sign of a good culture. But I also know this, when, when God is doing something among a people that the enemy wants to come and infiltrate those people and sow bad seed. And the enemy wants to disrupt what God is doing. Now, let's go back to eighth grade science and a word I've already mentioned today. Let's think about what that word is, the word ecosystem. What, what does that mean? An ecosystem, if I'll remind you, it's actually scientifically, they use the word community. It's a community of organisms, people and plants and small microbes that all interact with one another. They're interdependent to one another. And so what happens is this, is that when that ecosystem is disrupted, everyone loses, everyone, everyone is affected negatively. That's why in 2010, something happened in the spring of 2010 that disturbed all of us as Americans. And you may remember this, the deep horizon well exploded. And those things happen frequently, but unfortunately, the ramifications of this was 87 days of an oil spill. And we'll look at the next picture and you'll remember how ugly this was. There's a large boat and here it was, 200 plus million gallons of oil were spewed into the ocean. At the time, I remember our former youth pastor, David Huff, he and I talking and, and we had called the beach campsite in Panama City where we go every year. And there was question on their part and then question on our part, whether or not we were gonna be able to, to go to camp that year. And, and that was an organizational concern here, but that concern was so small compared to all of the fishermen, all of those who economically are attached to the Gulf of Mexico. There, there's dozens and dozens of professions that are. And then on top of that, aquatic life and animal life. This was just very ugly and very dark and, and very disappointing. So here it was, the reason this oil spill affected us so much is that the ecosystem itself was affected. Now, let's talk about us and our Christian community, whether it's our very family itself, whether it's our church, whether it's a 242 group, whatever the case is that, that there can be a, an oil leak, there can be an oil spill, and things can be polluted really, really fast. I just wanna suggest three things before we go back into prayer today. Here's, here's the first thing that can really pollute Christian community, and that is a critical spirit. A critical spirit. Now, all of us, we're trained to be critical. And to be critical is not a bad thing because we make critical analysis. I'm all the time making judgments about how something can improve or how something can be better. And those judgments have high value because we're, we're taught how to think. And so it is with me, uh, you may or may not have picked up this, uh, those of you who know me personally, that I'm naturally a negative person. I'm naturally a critical person. I've trained myself to be an optimist. I've trained myself to be positive, but I naturally just, my mind can, can pick something apart, look for the weak spot. And truthfully, God has used that. So that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not a negative thing. God can use that. But here's the difference. The difference between a critical judgment and a critical spirit is very subtle, but very big. 
Because a critical judgment is trying to make a situation better. A critical spirit is just operating out of a negative, destructive perspective. And it's so easy to get a critical spirit about things. It's almost like a bad habit we develop. We develop this habit of being perpetually critical and always seeing things negative. And instead of using that constructively, it it tears down and tears down. Jesus addressed some critical people who he called hypocrites very clearly in Matthew 17. And we can read the scripture. It says this, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. And we're gonna stay in verse five here. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We don't need to read verse six today. But what descriptive language Jesus is using? I mean, we, we've all been irritated by something small in our eye. But he's saying, you hypocrite, you got this log in your eye, which is a word picture that we can't even imagine what a log in our eye would look like. It's almost impossible. It's so huge. Here's the point. The point is this, is that when we have a critical spirit, the enemy uses that so that we're no longer doing self-evaluation. I know people who have a critical spirit and they, they tear everything down. And often those people who have a critical spirit have the lowest amount of self-awareness. They can't even see. They can't even see their own weaknesses. And so when I make judgments, And it happens a lot, you know. In my world, I'll see another pastor or I'll see another father or another husband and I'll think, well, you know, they shouldn't do this or I can't believe they're operating this way or I can't believe they're making that choice. I naturally go there and with the Holy Spirit's help, I turn that back to myself and say, okay, how how can Aaron change? How can Aaron look to his own life and change what's going to happen? So it is, guys, listen, Let's be people who love and build up and watch out for the poison of criticism. Watch that line. Watch that line that God will use your judgment, but then when it crosses over to a critical spirit, then when that happens, man, it poisons community. It messes up the ecosystem. It it affects everyone. It, It affects everything. And we have to take watch of that and make sure that we're doing things right. You know, one of the things I've been done a lot of as a youth pastor, and now as a pastor I do it occasionally, is I've moved people. This is not an advertisement, and I'm not looking to do any more of it, but just yesterday, a very close friend of mine needed some help with moving, and so I, I did that. And, and guys, we're really funny about this because this has happened in a lot of moves I've participated in. And as I'm looking around the crowd, there's been different ones of you who have who've been part of this with me, we, we start getting kind of competitive at, at first. Like, I can take that box, you know, and I can do that. Or we, we start timing ourselves a little bit. So yesterday, there was a box that looked a little too big for me, but, you know, it was early in the move as we were packing the truck. And I took it and, you know, I was pretty proud of myself. I'm thinking, not bad for 39 years old. 
Of course, Tom Brady's 37, and I try to ignore that. And that guy, you know, he's playing the NFL and doing great at 37. But I'm thinking, hey, this box isn't bad, and not bad for, I'm st- I still got it. I still got it going on. I didn't need anyone else to help me with this box. Three hours later, I come back to that same box because we had loaded it. Now we're unloading. And I come to that box, the box that was tough, but I did it before. And as I'm grabbing it, a friend of mine, it was Tim actually, Tim asked a very caring question, a very logical question. He said, can I help? (laughs) Now that's a caring question, isn't it? But in my male stupidity, I interpreted that question as, do you got what it takes to carry that box by yourself? So here I am, borderline dehydrated. My muscles are sore. My hands are burning from all these pieces of wood we were carrying. And Tim, my longtime friend, asked me, can I help? And God's man of faith and Christian community said, no, I got it. And I struggled with that thing and kind of looked around and, hey, listen, guys, that's just one of the dumb things we do, right? We take something very simple, like moving, and we make it a competition. And that's something I think men, and and I guess girls probably have this issue in other areas, not in moving trucks, but in other areas, this, this whole cancer of competition, I think, that just shrinks our soul sometimes. And that's the second, second point I want to make is, is we're, we're talking about maintaining Christian community, competing for positions. And this is, this is something that can pollute the waters. Competing for positions can mess up the ecosystem. Jesus has called us to prefer one another, to love one another. And do you know what that means? That means that I want Chip to be more successful than me. And I'm not always there. I'll I'll be honest with you, but I want to be there. That I I want so bad for Tracy and Roger to be successful that I'm going to serve them. And and I'm going to try to make them better. And I'm going to try to lay down my preferences and my desires so Tracy and Roger can grow in their calling. And this is what Jesus has called us to do. Yet we find in Matthew 20 an example of typical human behavior. James and John, their mother came to Jesus and asked their two sons to compete with the other 10 disciples. Look at this, it says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, so this is James and John's mother, approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. So this is the original soccer mom meeting the coach after practice. You know, get my kids playing time. And actually dads are worse than moms on that. So I'm not picking on you ladies. It's the the baseball dads and football dads that are worse. Verse 22, but Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. And he told them, you will indeed drink my cup, 
but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those whom it has been prepared by my Father. You know, the right hand and left hand of Jesus were the two seats of honor. And one was preferable than the other. And so this mom says, hey, I got two sons. I'm going for the best two positions. But Jesus said, listen, we're not granting those positions like the world does. We're not competing for power. The position Jesus wants us to have is that of a servant, that of a slave, laying down our rights and preferences at his feet for his purposes, laying down this competitive spirit. And guys, listen, if we wanna maintain the Christian community God wants us to have, we have to lay down the competition and instead serve each other and love each other and want the best for each other. That's so different than the world system that uses people as a stepping stone to get to the next place. No, people are not a method to the end. People are the end. And the way we love and the way we serve makes all the difference. One of the things that challenges my Christian faith is the carpool line at the schools my kids attend. I know we have a lot of educators in this. Yeah, God's not happy with that, is he? <laughs> we have a lot of educators here and, and administrators who, who attend our church and so forth. And I know they have really good reasons for their rules. But I suppose this, that at three o'clock in the morning, I could drive to one of the schools my kids attend here in Hendersonville and I could pick any lane I wanted to. I could drive any direction that I wanted to. If there were no, were no law enforcement uh, present, I could do donuts in the parking lot at three o'clock in the morning. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, all the rules change. Because these administrators and principals, they have certain lanes that you can go to at certain times in certain directions. The other day, I was in line early at one of my kids' schools, and like first in line, and she wasn't out there yet, and they made me go back through the line again. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus, right? Just gave me an opportunity to pray. So the, these principals and administrators have good reasons for their rules. These rules apply when it's their time, right? And they create the culture of their school. And as a good parent, as a good, reasonable parent, I'd abide by those rules, right? So this is group therapy. You guys are helping me get this angst out, okay? I'm talking it through. So I'm gonna abide by the rules because there's good reasons for them to have rules. And, and at different times this afternoon, I suppose, I can go drive any way I want to, correct? But during the morning, morning hours and afternoon hours where other families are present, Students are present. I've got to abide by the rules. Here's the last thing I, I want to make a point about. To pr protect community is we have to support the vision of the local church. Support the vision of the local church. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that, connecting it to that story, is that just like schools at certain times have certain rules to help the most people, so God has called certain churches to emphasize certain things to reach particular people. 
Now, here's a great part about it. Every church in this city and every church that has ever existed has the same mission. And this mission comes straight from the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. I love what this says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'll just note this. It didn't say make converts of all nations. That's just step one, right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, see how that teaching component is so important, to obey. And the obey part talks about the morality that happens when Christ has changed our life and we've received his grace. This is the mission of all churches. I mean, this is straight from Jesus. We're called to disciple people. We're called to teach people. We're called to have people obey the standards that God has put down. That's the mission for all of us. But, and we'll go to the next slide. Every particular church has a distinct vision that reaches unique people. That's why there's various churches in this city. That's why there's various denominations. Our church isn't part of the denomination. We're an interdenominational church. We don't oppose denominations. We're just not part of one. And God's given us and other churches in the city and other denominations particular characteristics that help them reach particular people. And we can celebrate those. So that means that we have to know and understand what God's, who God has called us to be. Well, here are some things that I believe we are and we are becoming and God's called us to be. Let's look at them together. What's the distinct vision of this local church? It's Bible teaching. So I want us to teach the Bible from the little ones on up to what happens into this room because the Bible is our source. If it's not in the Bible, I don't want to do it. Does that sound good to you guys? I mean, I think that's a really safe place to be. So we do give attention in our Sunday services to Bible teaching. It's not because of me, because I think as our church grows and we develop, we probably need to hear more voices than me more frequently. But we do it because Bible teaching makes us strong, keeps us centered, and it keeps us out of the area of opinion, and it holds up God's truth. And so from the youngest to the oldest, let's keep in the word. Experiential worship. This is a huge part of who we are called to be. Meaning this is that, you know, we want you guys to feel God's presence when we worship him. I come from a charismatic tradition, so... We're used to modern songs that we experienced this morning, you know, and a lot of people will lift their hands and we have these kind of spontaneous songs that come from our hearts. And that's the tradition that I'm comfortable in. I think that's great. On top of that, we offer communion every Sunday. Um, we take it together once a month, but on other Sundays, you can, you'll have an opportunity today to take the bread and cup. And that's equally as experiential. You're tasting the bread, you're tasting the cup. It's symbolizing Christ. And you have to do business with God before you take communion. And it's a good thing to do that. I love the liturgical aspect of church. And it's something that we kind of dabble in, but I'd like to give more attention to. Like earlier this morning when I came up and we read a prayer together and the participation was good because everyone participated. And the spontaneous prayer was needed and good and appreciated, but the prepared prayer uh, brought unity and solidarity and the words were chosen so well and it's a good thing. 
All of these are experiences because God's something, no, God is someone, excuse me, to be experienced. And we want to feel his presence and, and, and know that he's real among us. That's important. Small groups, and this is the whole concept of bowling together instead of bowling alone. Whatever small group means to you, 242, volunteering, men's group, women's group, um, it is not satisfactory just to have a, a big auditorium with lots of people attending. Do I want that? Absolutely. I will, I'm not lying. I won't lie to you. I love, love to have a church of thousands. That'd be great. But not if people aren't not in community together. So it's not acceptable just to gather people in one room. God's called us to get to know each other in smaller groups. That's gonna mean something to different people. And then the next generation. That's why we emphasize through our staffing, through our programming, we, we put children and teenagers first. I wanna put college kids first yet. We're not there yet, but that's a dream of mine. I, I, I wanna have a, a full-time staff member for college kids someday. That's, that's a huge part, it's huge in my heart. We're gonna have to, we've got a whole generation of teenagers coming up. We have a responsibility to continue to disciple them. So this is a priority. And, and what we found that when we disciple kids and teenagers, we are discipled. We, we are. That's what we found. That, that, that's what we do. And then this isn't in your notes, so you can add it, but it's implied. Missions. Missions we, to, to share the gospel. And I say all of this. Do you know that a month before I became a senior pastor, which was nine years ago, I've been at two different churches nine years, um, that I had that list at the Hampton Inn in Gallatin and said, this is who I feel like God's called us to be. And this is still unfolding, all right? So that's the vision of who God's called us to be. That's who God's called us to be and, and he's gonna help us to be that, be that people. I want Beth to come on up and bring her team or whoever's coming with you. Your team may just be Benton, I don't know. Oh, I see more, okay, good. And I want to invite you on a process to discover more about who we are and who you are. It's a process called CIL Forward, and it starts on September 7th. Um, and we'll go ahead, and you see there it says you, us, and all, but we'll go ahead, let's stay here now. Um, the first meeting, September 7th at 4.30 in the afternoon, and I'll be leading that meeting. Uh, and that is kind of like a newcomer's meeting. You, you can come and find out more about who we are, the vision, and what's happening. And then the next two weeks, during the 9 a.m. service, September 14th and 21st, our staff will teach help you discover what your motivational gift is. It'll change your life and discover more about the doctrine of the church. It's two exciting classes. It used to be four classes. Now we've streamlined it to three classes. Uh, and I, I want you to consider that. You can come to the 9 a.m. service just for two weeks, come an hour early, and, and then you can stay for the second service. If you only have one time slot, we'll take it. And you can come to the nine o'clock service and then not hear me for a couple of weeks. So... I know that'll be really sad and hard for you, but that option is available too. So that's coming and we, we, we want you to be part of it. Let's stand together and let's spend, we, got a, we have a few minutes left and we want to respond to God today. Respond to God's presence today because he is here among us. I want to invite our pastors and prayer partners to go to that back wall there to your left because some of you need prayer 
today. And I just want you to know that we all need prayer sometimes. And our prayer partners are available because they love you. And they're regular people just like you and me. There's been times that I've needed to, I've needed to go pray. I've needed to go pray with people. Here, I've come and preached with a burden on me. And I've slipped back there and I've prayed with prayer partners. So don't, don't let anything keep you from getting prayer you need. It'll be good for you, okay? And I just, I don't know, I feel like I needed you guys to know that, that getting prayer doesn't mean something's wrong with you. I think that we think, well, nothing's wrong with me. I'm not getting prayer. It just means that you're believing what the scripture says, that a prayer of one person is effective, but the prayer of two or more has more power because Jesus gets glorified. So don't delay anymore or don't hesitate. And just, it's for all of you, okay? I just want you to know that. And just that, that this prayer time is for every person. Then here at the front, to your left and to your right, are back in the middle, uh, behind the center section, communion's available. You don't have to take communion, but you're welcome to. Any person's welcome to take communion if you have put your faith in Christ. And use that as a time of reflection. I won't give further instruction on that. So when your heart is ready, you can eat the bread or drink the cup. Maybe you want to pray with friends or family members. Uh, that would be a great thing. And then also just if God leads you to pray for someone, the Spirit's leading you to pray for someone, that may be a, a, this would be a great time to do that. You can just gently and humbly just ask if you can pray for them. And, and I just think some ministry can happen to one another. But uh, we have a few minutes left together. Let's, let's seek the Lord together. Would that be a good thing? Let's seek the Lord together. Lord, we...